Simon and Andrew, James and John. That list of names is familiar to us, isn't it? Two Sundays ago, we heard Jesus call out to those four fishermen and say, follow me. And immediately they left their nets and became his disciples. But over the last two weeks, they haven't made it very far, have they? Actually, it hasn't been two weeks for them, of course, but Mark's frequent use of the word immediately makes it hard for us to tell how much time passes between one episode and another. After they immediately dropped their nets and immediately left their father, they immediately appeared at the synagogue in Capernaum on the Sabbath. But we know that the fishermen wouldn't have been working in their boats on the Sabbath, so at least a day or two must have gone by since they left their boats. However long it was, we read about what happened in the synagogue last Sunday when Jesus, wielding his own spirit-enabled power, cast an unclean spirit out of another person. This Sunday... Mark picks up right where we left off last week with our hero and his companions exiting the synagogue and word of his new and authoritative teaching spreading immediately throughout the surrounding region. Although not much time has gone by, Jesus is beginning to make a name for himself and now it seems the time has come for him to embark on a new bold missionary venture. So where does Jesus lead these new and faithful followers back home? To Simon and Andrew's house, where Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. I wonder if it occurred to the disciples that following Jesus was a lot less involved than I made it seem two weeks ago when I preached about bringing our whole lives with us as we follow Jesus into the kingdom of God. Instead of going out in search of new opportunities for ministry, Jesus and his disciples waited at home until those opportunities literally presented themselves at the door. As soon as the sun had set and the Sabbath observance was over, the whole city, we are told, gathered at the entrance to the house. Throughout the evening and into the night, Jesus worked healing the sick, and casting out the demons. When the night was over, perhaps after catching a few moments of sleep, we aren't told about that, Jesus snuck away while it was still dark in the wee hours in order for some time to pray. When the disciples woke up, Already there was a crowd standing outside with more sick and demon-possessed people for Jesus to heal. Everyone in the city and even from the surrounding villages was looking for the miracle worker. So the disciples went out hunting for him, hunting, a word that means more than just looking or searching, but actually stalking Jesus the way a hunter might stalk its prey. So urgent was the need back at the house that the disciples didn't stop to consider that maybe Jesus wasn't going back. It didn't occur to them that the size of the crowd and the fruitfulness of the ministry that was taking place at their doorstep 
that that didn't really matter to Jesus at all. Jesus was focused on something else. Let us go on to the neighboring towns, he said when they found him, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. Something happened to Jesus when he prayed. We don't know what he said or what God said in reply, but that time of prayer became a turning point, a moment of transition from the first chapter of Jesus' ministry into the next. Usually I think of Jesus going out into that desolate place to pray by himself in order that he might recover after a long night of exhausting work. But that probably says more about my own approach to prayer than Jesus's. Instead of seeking the strength to meet the needs that waited at the door, he prayed to seek the strength he needed to meet the needs that lay ahead down the road. Early this last week, a friend and colleague of mine reading this gospel lesson asked whether this time of prayer for Jesus was a time to recharge or perhaps a time of agony like that which Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane. His question led me to discover that there are only three moments in Mark's gospel account when Jesus stops to pray. This is the first when he goes out early in the morning in order to pray before taking the message of God's kingdom to new places. The second comes in Mark chapter 6, when after feeding the 5,000 and sending the disciples across the sea to Bethsaida, Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray by himself. When he finishes praying, he looks and sees the disciples struggling to make their way across the lake, so he walks out on the sea to find them. The third and final moment comes in Mark 14, after the Last Supper, when Jesus takes his disciples to Gethsemane, where he prays before being arrested by the religious authorities. Each time Jesus prays, he does so not in response to what has happened, but in anticipation of the challenges that lie ahead. Is that how we pray? Is that how we think of ministry? For Jesus, the success of his ministry was never measured in terms of diseases cured and demons cast out. If that were his focus, he never would have needed to leave Capernaum, where he and his disciples had a place to sleep, family and friends to care for them, and a synagogue ready to hear him preach at any time. Instead, during that time of prayer, Jesus remembered that the fruit of his ministry would always be ahead of him, somewhere down the road, wherever it was that God would lead him. What about us? What do we think of as the measure of success in our ministry? Is it meals served and evictions prevented? Is it classes taught and prayers offered? Is it anthems sung and sermons preached? 
We are really good at what we do right here. We are a successful church. Our ministries help meet the needs of our parishioners and the needs of the wider community. But what if following Jesus means doing more than that? What if being faithful means leaving those successes behind and proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom to people who haven't found their way to our door yet. This isn't an easy time to be trying something new. We can't even do the things we're good at right now. How in the world are we going to pick up and move on to new opportunities that we haven't even tried yet? What if our efforts aren't successful? What if we run into trouble or meet opposition along the way, why not just stay put and focus on doing all the things we know how to do so well? Because following Jesus into the kingdom of God may start with the successes that we know, but he always leads us beyond them into new opportunities for proclaiming the good news of God's reign. We did not become followers of Jesus in order to stay put and wait for the kingdom to come and find us. We answer Jesus' call because we believe that we find the kingdom by following Jesus into the fullness of God's reign. I don't know what is next for us. I don't know what is waiting down the road. But I do know that if we are going to be faithful, we can expect what lies ahead to come with great challenge and hardship. And I also know that if we are going to find the strength we need to be faithful to whatever opportunities await us, we must commit ourselves to prayer. By that, I don't mean the kind of self-assured prayer in which we tell God all the things we would be comfortable doing in God's name and asking God to bless whatever we choose. I mean a risky kind of prayer, the kind of prayer that puts our whole lives on the line and says to God, I don't know what you have in store for me, but I believe that you will use me for something better than I can imagine we'd better be sure we mean those words before we say them. But when that becomes our prayer, when we start seeking God's strength to leave our successes behind and embrace those opportunities we haven't even dreamt of yet, something big will happen.